Hello, dearest listener. You have tuned in to At Your Peril by Arthur McBain and Owen Jenkins. Before we begin, a parish notice. A warning. What you are about to hear may terrify and horrify you to the very core of your being. It may also involve content unsuitable for children, those with a nervous disposition, or wimps. If you must, turn off your receiver now. No? In that case, we shall begin at your peril. Colonel Richards was not a colonel. Not close. He wasn't even a private or a corporal. Forget lieutenant, because he wasn't one of those, either. He'd never been in the army. He'd never even run an assault course or watched the film Deer Hunter. No, Colonel was his name. It was his Christian name, although he wasn't one of those, either. And Richards was his surname. Colonel hated it. Ever since he could remember, he'd introduced himself as Col. When people asked Col, short for Colin, he'd nod politely. He'd often thought about a permanent name change, but was a mother-fearing soul, and she was still alive by the skin of her teeth. So he never summoned the resolve to go ahead with it. Besides, he had no idea what he'd change his name to. Possibly just Colin, after all. He was smart. Not genius smart, not prodigy smart, but clever enough to know the importance of working hard. Clever enough to know that if he was to ever get out of the near poverty that his family struggled through, working hard would be the way he'd do it. Working hard got him into top sets at school, got him straight A's. Working hard got him a small group of close friends, but working hard also lost him those friends when he went to university. After graduating from university, biochemistry at Cambridge, He went on to work in a white coat in several laboratories of high regard, each time doing various things with petri dishes. He was an expert in growing things in those small, round pots. Bacteria, fungi, diseases. His reputation for working hard made him become enviably sought after. Headhunters would come from far and wide, trying to enlist him to work in their labs. Sometimes he'd say yes and move, and other times he'd stay put and asked for a pay rise. He hated asking for pay rises, the meek man that he was, but he was forced to, no, gently yet consistently encouraged to, by his wife, Marianne. Nevertheless, Marianne Richards always gave sound, if uncomfortable, advice. She knew nothing about science, being an English literature grad, but intuitively knew a lot about the art of persuasion and could see the great cosmic ladder of success clearly in her mind's eye. Colonel would call her Lady Macbeth. She'd wring her hands and chuckle. He liked to see her chuckle. She was beautiful when she chuckled. She had dimples which pinched her cheeks and seemed to appear like rippled reflections of her jet-black pupils. He'd gaze at her, watch her eyebrows tilt slightly away from one another. He loved her eyebrows. They almost touched in the middle, flirted with one another, almost a monobrow, delicate and defined. She was Cleopatra. She was the Queen of Sheba. She was Desdemona. And Colonel, uh, he was tall. Too tall for some doors. Lanky, long limbs. Marianne loved watching him move. It was like watching a giraffe take its first steps. He had rich red hair which seemed to twinkle when the sunlight caught it at certain angles. 
He'd grown up to be intensely good-looking, sharp cheekbones, a defined jaw which appeared to be the work of some almighty Michelangelo, sculpting with biomatter rather than marble. The possibly endearing thing with Colonel and Marianne was that neither of them had any idea whatsoever how good-looking they were. Both were incredibly beautiful, unconventional, breathtaking. They had never noticed the looks, the flirtation, the ease that life provided them with. At heart, they were just two geeky, awkward, clumsy souls who'd found each other. Two geeky, awkward, clumsy souls who wanted nothing more than to settle down, make a family and be rich enough not to worry. And it was true that life seemed to hand things to them on a plate. Those pay rise requests were never declined. Marianne worked as a journalist and at no point did anyone say no to being interviewed by her. At least not after they'd seen her beautiful, unconventional, breathtaking face. It's the last great inequality of our world, people saying yes more to good-looking people than those who are more aesthetically lacking. Colonel and Marianne benefited from this without ever noticing the extent of their privilege. Still endearing or ignorant? Blind? Stupid? At one point in early 2025, Colonel got a job offer. Headhunted once more. It was an unexpected surprise. It would be a big step up financially because it was in the commercial sector. He'd already spent five years working with stem cells by this point, and thanks to working hard, he had excelled at it to some degree. He was also one of the most handsome men working in the field, which helped him get noticed. Shiwei, her name was, the offer of the job. She and Colonel had met at a conference in Los Angeles the year before. They'd got on well, so well, that they had ended up spending almost every minute together. Shiwei's team were now on the brink of bringing lab-grown meat to the mass market. It was an area of stem cell discipline that Colonel knew about second-hand. He understood the process. Not perfectly, he wasn't an expert, but he certainly had an understanding. Shiwei's team were only six months away from getting the green light to roll out industrial quantities of lab-grown minced shrimp meat. Ethical, cheap, environmental, vegan? Vegan shrimp? It wasn't an animal after all, not really. It had been grown like a succulent or a cactus. It hadn't suffered. It hadn't been killed. It's basically vegan shrimp, Shiwei said through the conference call to Colonel. It's not vegan shrimp. It's shrimp. So, do you have a problem with it? Are you going to turn down the job? <sighs> um... You see, Marianne and Colonel were vegans. Strict vegans. Ate nuts, vegetables, tofu. They didn't eat shrimp. Colonel hadn't tasted shrimp for ten years at least. He had been reluctant to move to a plant-based diet. It was Marianne's idea, you see, and Lady Macbeth always gets what she wants. Marianne was standing behind the computer monitor, mouthing to Colonel. She'd already told him to be hesitant about taking the job. It was all about negotiation. It was all about getting a healthier pay packet. But... I just think... Colonel stuttered at the screen. Marianne was mouthing to him. He nodded impatiently. Hong Kong, though. I'm not sure we can move to Hong Kong. It's a long way away from our families. I'm not sure if we want to be so far away from our parents. My mother... My mother wouldn't like it. She's old now and... Marianne smiled. She was pleased with how Colonel was dealing with this. 
She looked down and cautiously, subtly, placed a hand on her stomach. Do you know what we're about to do? Do you know, huh? We are about to roll out the world's first commercially available lab-grown meat. Do you realize what this means? You'll be on the team. You'll be here. You'll be in the photos, in the history books. I don't care about being in history books. You are a scientist. Of course, you care about being in history books.、Uh, why? I don't know. Scientists just seem innately preoccupied with their legacies. No, you said you're basically on the home straight. You've got the team. You've already done it. Why do you need me? He flicked an uncomfortable eye up to his wife, who smiled back. Shi Wei hesitated, looked away from the webcam for a moment. Something isn't quite working. We need another pair of eyes to, to,、uh, to check it all. What's not working? Colonel leaned in theatrically. You've got the tech. It's simple. We know exactly how to do it. Not on this scale. It. It what? You just have to look for yourself. Then send me the data. I'll look at it from here. It's okay. It's not about the data. The data is in keeping with exactly what we expect. Look, see. See, Marianne thought. Who calls him see? I can't say any more. Not over the internet, anyway. Look, if you want a job, it's yours, and we'd love to have you here. I'll offer you enough extra money in your packet for four return flights between the UK and Hong Kong a year. Use it how you will. That night, Colonel and Marianne lay awake. They were going to go to Hong Kong, where the lights were brighter, the sounds were louder, and the smells were a thousand worlds more intense. As Marianne began dozing, she rested a palm on her navel. Her skin was soft beneath her fingertips. It felt somehow warmer than usual. She slid her hand lower so that her little finger tucked just underneath the waistband of her pajamas. Her thumb touched her belly button. She smiled in the darkness and swivelled over. Nestling herself into Colonel's arms, Colonel was staring at the ceiling, nervous about what the future held. Racing thoughts meant that he wouldn't slide into a slumber for another three hours. He was worrying. He knew he had to divorce Marianne. He knew that he couldn't take her to Hong Kong. That would be cruel. But somehow, he found himself on a conveyor belt, and to get off it would be much easier thought than done. Above all things, Colonel berated himself the most for his limp way of letting life be something that happened to him against his will. Two months later, and Hong Kong was in its rainy season, hot, humid, damp. The air carried with it the sweet smell of wetness, of moss and lichen, mildew. Even in the city centre. Where the buses and trams cascaded along the streets like a river of cold metal, the smell of damp soil was undeniable. Heat changes the way that smells are released, makes them less sharp, more rounded. Marianne Richards scurried along a small and deserted street. She was lost in thought. Her eyes were pointed at the floor. She passed a dim sum stall. It was steaming in the morning sun. A man stood inside, shouting English phrases at her. She didn't look up, not because she was being deliberately rude, but because her mind was focused on deeper things than dim sum. 
She turned the corner onto a steep street leading down towards the centre. It was busy on this street. See, big cities have the profound ability to be completely deserted one minute and then bustling with a single step around a corner. She dodged through the mass of people, descending the stone steps, careful not to slip on the freshly damp floor. People shouted at her in a host of languages. Someone prodded her, hard. She looked up. Her face was drained of colour, she was pale as a ghost. The prodding had been done by an American couple wearing bum bags or fanny packs and khaki shirts. Um, hello ma'am, so sorry to interrupt you. Prod me. Huh? Do you speak English? I am English. I don't understand what your problem is. You said sorry to interrupt me. I said prod me. You prodded me. You didn't interrupt me. You touched me like this. I've never met you before, but you think it's okay to prod me like that? You're rude. Oh, I'm rude, am I? We only wanted to ask if you'd recommend visiting the Big Buddha. Oh, well, well, let's say yes. Because you don't have to walk up to it. There's a cable car. Oh, and a McDonald's at the top. You'll be right at home. It's like Disneyland. Oh, is that so? Well, I don't know from experience. I've never been. But that's what I've heard. You know, lady... The man said, taking his wife by the arm. You are the rudest person I have ever met. Who knows? If you didn't prod me, I might have been nice. You should always be nice, you rude, rude woman. Yes, but you don't know what's going on with a person, do you? You should never prod a stranger unless you know it's 100% appropriate to prod them. Then, just as the couple were about to move off, she added... I lost a baby this morning, so... The man's lips flapped open like a goldfish. Before either of the Americans could say anything, Marianne had disappeared into the crowd, making a hasty descent to the main road. She knew she'd exaggerated on technicalities, but it felt as monumental as anything she could think of. Plus, to see their faces... It almost made her spirits lift. Her stomach cramped. She clutched it with both hands and reached the main road. The road was awash with lights and sound. A mecca of consumerism, a jungle of concrete. Shops blurted music. Their open doors blasted icy aircon into the road, useless against the onslaught of heat. To her left was a large green cross, glowing. The pharmacy. Once inside, she headed straight for the feminine hygiene section and bought the first packet of tampons that she could find. Minutes later, she was bursting into the shop's toilet, which had been pointed out to her by a slightly intimidated member of staff. She dropped her trousers and removed the sock. It wasn't as bad as she had thought. On the street, it felt as though she was wetting herself, but in reality, the sock had caught what it needed to. She pulled the box open and inserted a tampon. She had been so sure that she was pregnant. This time, she had been certain. Her period was the latest it had ever been, but it was here, like an unwanted visitor, abruptly making her world go grey, lose its colour and meaning. Marianne let out a long and laboured breath. She rested her head on her hands and stayed hovering above the toilet seat until her legs got tired. Why did this keep happening? It was as if her cycle had begun playing games with her, playing chicken. How long could it hold off, mock her, tease her, plague her? Every time she believed, wanted to believe, she was getting desperate. She cast her mind back to the night that Colonel had taken the job. How she lay in bed, adamant, certain, damn well fucking sure that his sperm had completed the journey, had conquered an egg, had given them hope, a future, a child. As she had lain there that night, she had never felt more like a family. But now, after that was a no-starter, and the next one, and now this one, well, 
She felt completely hopeless. She punched the door of the cubicle hard. Her knuckles groaned with pain. By the time she got back to their small penthouse apartment, Colonel was already waiting for her. He came home for lunch every day. Living in Hong Kong offered seldom opportunities for exercise, and he enjoyed the long walk to and from the lab. He rested his elbows on the kitchen counter, looking out of the window, surveying the miles of city sprawling out around them. I made some hummus. Marianne threw her keys down onto the kitchen surface. I know. I ate it. Colonel turned to face her. His face looked... complex. That was the only way that Marianne could think to describe it. Complex. What's up? You look as though you're worrying. Nothing. You're lying. I can tell you're lying. It's nothing. Right. Don't say it like that. I didn't say anything like anything. You said right like right. Like something isn't okay. I can just tell you're lying, that's all. It's just work stuff. Marianne poured herself a glass of orange juice and took a sip. Colonel watched her closely. Where have you been? The pharmacy. Oh. Everything okay? Just needed tampons. Colonel's lips stiffened. He knew exactly what that meant. Back at work, Colonel couldn't hide his melancholy. It was as though a grey filter had been fitted between him and his afternoon. He stood outside the reception, talking into his phone. Okay, thank you. Yes, see you tomorrow. Shiwei approached as he hung up. Good lunch? Yes, thanks. Hummus. Homemade. Yeah. Very nice. Sorry, I'm just <clears throat> going back inside You now. don't have to apologise, see? You are allowed to do what you like. You've got special dispensation. Yes, I know. Sorry. Something's on your mind. Shiwei placed her palm on the small of his back. Don't worry. Not being one to persist, Shiwei nodded and scanned her ID card on the reader, then disappeared inside. Colonel looked at the sky. It was overcast. The sun had disappeared. A heavy drop of rain slapped him on the forehead. And then another. And another. By the time Colonel had scanned his own ID card and entered the building, the downpour had already become torrential. He gave his salutations to Edward, who manned the front desk, and went into the cloakroom to put on his sanitary clothing before making his way to take data in the growing warehouse. The corridor to the growing warehouse was long. There were three swinging double doors to go through before entering the space itself. At the last set of double doors, he took a moment, hands shaking slightly. Was it fear? Was he scared of entering? He gritted his teeth and pushed the door open. It was cold inside, chilled, smelled sterile. A slight scent of shrimp flesh filled the air, but it was different. The smell of shrimp that had never touched the ocean. Colonel surveyed the space. It was impressive. Scaffold filled the warehouse, rising up three floors high and stretching onwards far enough to need a segway to travel to the other end. The scaffolding had been coated in a pink gel, a kind of compost for the stem cells, a fertiliser, a breeding ground. From each pole, shrimp grew. Except it wasn't shrimp. It was shrimp meat. Nothing more than muscle, nothing more than matter, cells, stuff. It was like a growth, a tumour spreading outwards, melding with itself and the matter around it. It was fascinating, addictive, playing God.
Colonel remembered vividly the moment a few weeks earlier when he had tasted the shrimp for himself. He didn't want to, but he felt it was a necessary part of the job. And for some reason, he had been playing the moment back in his head ever since. And whenever he did, he would inexplicably wince. Shrimp paste. It would be revolutionary. Take a huge strain off the oceans, especially in Asia. Plus, it was endlessly more humane. The meat didn't feel, it didn't think. It wasn't ever alive in the strictest sense. Which is why it was so confusing to the team that when grown on such a scale, the meat seemed to behave differently. Whenever they brought a knife near it in order to shave some off, the meat, well, it anticipated it. That night, Marianne and Colonel lay awake. Outside, the wind was strong, blustery and powerful. Their apartment block swayed. They could feel it moving like a tree in a gale. They didn't talk, they just lay, each worrying in their own way that the building would blow over completely. The sound of passionate lovemaking filtered through the floorboards from the apartments below. It was the same every night. At first, during the first few weeks, Marianne and Colonel had found it amusing, tantalising, sexy even. They'd used it as a spark for their own playful copulation, unprotected, risky, optimistic. But now, they didn't bother. They weren't remotely in the mood, they were already tired and homesick. Aliens in a city that felt like a parallel universe. Colonel was thinking... A thousand thoughts circling around his head. The conundrum at work. It wasn't normal. It was the very definition of paranormal. It was outside the realms of possibility. Outside the realms of normality. It was impossible. The flesh wasn't sentient. It didn't have a brain, a nervous system, a soul. He suddenly thought of God. It never added up. Of course, science and religion don't mix, but that didn't explain why so many scientists went to church. So many physicists studied the Quran, the Bible, the Torah. So many biologists saying their prayers. He believed in God for moments like this. God filled the gaps, explained the unexplainable. Did the shrimp meat have a soul? Colonel squeezed his eyes shut and asked earnestly in his mind, Are you there? The room stayed silent. I need you now, he thought. His unborn baby appeared in his mind's eye. And you? Why aren't you coming? Why do you insist on not existing? Like a flash, Colonel shot out of bed and grabbed his phone. What are you doing? Marianne said, opening one eye and seeing Colonel's face illuminated. I just forgot to tell Shiwei about the doctor's appointment tomorrow. You booked a test? Didn't I say? He must have forgotten. I'm texting her anyway to let her know. I'm sure it'll be fine. It's just best to check. It's 10pm. Shiwi doesn't sleep. Oh, right. Does she live downstairs by any chance? Colonel grunted his amusement. <laughs> Almost on cue, the couple downstairs got louder as they neared the end of their marathon. Colonel locked his phone and clambered back into bed. He slid his arm beneath Marianne's head and rested his cheek on hers. She liked it when he did that. She liked feeling the soft scratch of his stubble. After some time, Marianne whispered, I don't like it here. I know. I feel like we're growing apart. You don't talk to me like you used to. I have no idea what you're doing at work. You don't make me feel special like you used to. 
Colonel didn't know what to say. Can I ask you something? Are you sleeping with Shiwei? A silence filled the room. No. Why did you take so long to answer? Because I've got no idea where you've got that idea. It's just you're so shifty at the moment. Quiet and secretive, you seem constantly on edge. It's work. But what about work? It's... I hate it there. It's... I'm scared by it. It it scares me. I don't want to ever step foot inside that lab again. But why? Colonel almost told her about the meat. The following week, Colonel was inspecting a new piece of shrimp meat that he had grown from scratch. It was behaving exactly as he had expected it to, like a piece of meat. Nothing strange, nothing... well, nothing like the shrimp in the warehouse. He could cut it, slam it, mash it, mince it, mush it, cook it, eat it, jar it. He could do anything he liked with it. He could bring his scalpel close to it and it'd behave exactly as shrimp meat should. But the meat in the warehouse, the meat grown on an industrial scale, it was different. If you went in there and so much as drew that same scalpel out of a drawer, it was as if shockwaves would cascade along the flesh, rippling all the way to the other end of the building. It would physically move itself out of the way, recoil, writhe about like a chicken in an abattoir. He was no closer to any answers. The meat didn't have a brain or eyes, it'd need eyes. And it was, it was just flesh. But it seemed to possess the ability to know things. Did it have something, uh, a quality that was passing them by? Something intangible? Colonel scoffed at the thought, now that really would be playing God. He took off his rubber glove and massaged the bridge of his nose. His phone buzzed. It was the doctor's surgery. Hello? Yes, speaking. Hi. Hi. Okay. Right. No, that's okay, I, I don't need to... Huh? Well... If it's necessary... Sorry, can you not just give me the test results over the fu- Yes. I'm sure. Right. I, uh... Sort of expected that. Righty-ho. Okay, thanks. Bye now. Bye. He put the phone back into his pocket, calmly replaced his rubber glove, and got back to work. After a moment, a single tear landed on the shrimp meat. Colonel let out a long, protracted breath. Tears were now cascading down his cheeks. He got up. He needed some air, fresh air. He needed a cold breeze, a British breeze, biting and dry. After stumbling out of the reception, he blindly entered the warm Hong Kong afternoon. Warm and damp. He felt blood rushing from his head, felt weak, limp, and rather than snapping him out of his daze, it made it worse, made him miss the first step down to the car park. He tumbled down the steps as though it were a cliff edge. The first bash his head received was on the railing. He gritted his teeth as he fell, scalp sending shockwaves of pain down through his body. He tensed up, neck straining, nervous system firing on all cylinders. The second bash to his head came upon impact with the floor. 
The hard concrete connected with his head with such force that it made him deaf for a second or two. And there he lay. He blinked, looked up at the sky, grey, overcast. He slowly became aware that he could feel his heartbeat in his head. And then came the warm, comforting trickle through his hair, his shimmering auburn hair. It felt as though someone was gently pouring warm, soapy bathwater onto his scalp. He lay, enjoying the feeling. It was comforting, as though an angel was giving him a head massage. And this was the point at which he heard God for the first time. Call an ambulance, the voice said. Don't fall asleep. Colonel wasn't surprised to hear that God was a woman. See, keep your eyes open. Don't fall asleep. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Colonel smiled lightly and closed his eyes. Marianne was making her way along the hospital ward. She'd been in a meeting with the publisher. The plan was to write a book about the cultural differences of the West and the East and how the gap between the two was closing at an ever-increasing rate. As such, her phone had been on silent, and it was only after she'd gone to pick up a coffee afterwards that she turned it on and saw the missed calls from Edward, the receptionist at Colonel's work. She'd come as quickly as possible, and now she saw Shiwei leave Colonel's private room and go to the water dispenser. Marianne had never met Shiwei before, and was surprised to see how long her hair was. Scientists don't normally have such long hair. In Marianne's experience, hair like that was left to artists. Impractical people with impractical hair. But Shiwei's hair went all the way down her back and touched the waistband of her jeans. Marianne suddenly found herself feeling jealous. Not of the hair itself, or at least not exclusively because of the hair itself, but of what the hair represented. To her, it represented, for some inexplicable reason, a loose morality. It represented hedonism, freedom. Strange, Marianne thought. This pang of jealousy, it was an alien feeling. A green-eyed monster. She'd never experienced much jealousy before, being clever, beautiful and confident. But the jealousy was... Tangible, it fluttered around her diaphragm, made her feel as though the depths of her lungs were being tickled by a long feather. Shiwei took a sip from the paper cup and dropped it into a small bin beside the dispenser. She turned and headed towards the exit, passing Marianne. The two women locked eyes. Shiwei hesitated. Uh, sorry to disturb you. Are you Marianne? She knows my name. Marianne thought. I don't like her knowing my name. Yes, she said out loud. And you are? She knew damn well who Shiwei was. Of course she did. I'm Shuhei. I'm C's boss. C? Uh, Colonel. Yeah, I guess that. I just... I've just never heard anyone call him that before. (laughs) Well, he hates his name. Yes. Sorry, I'm a little bit of shock. It's nice to meet you. You too. I've heard a lot about you. Uh, I was with him when it happened. Well... At least just after. Is he okay? He's had stitches. Fifteen stitches. uh, Across the top of his head. It's pretty bad. Uh, But he hasn't broken his skull, which is the main thing. Yeah, he'll be concussed for a while. He's still a bit... uh, Well, (laughs) you'll see for yourself. It was uh, lovely to meet you. You too. And with that, Shiwei left the ward. 
Marianne's jealousy simmered around her gut. She stepped cautiously toward Colonel's room. Inside, her husband was lying on the bed, bandages wrapped around his head. Hey. She approached him and took hold of his hand. He caught her gaze and for a moment he didn't show any sign of recognition, but then his expression softened. God's been here. God saved me. Did he? She. God is a woman. Is he really? He's a she. Marianne tried to smile, but found the sides of her lips being held down by the gravity of Shiwei's long hair. She looked at her husband's bandages and felt suddenly and inexplicably lonely. Marianne cared for Colonel for the next three weeks. During that time, Colonel did a lot of sleeping. He also, for the first time in his life, started painting. He'd never been particularly artistic, had never tried, really. Marianne was surprised when he'd mentioned that he'd like to borrow her paints. And every day he'd sit in the living room, facing the enormous floor-to-ceiling window which looked out over the Hong Kong skyline, and would paint. Intensely. Quietly. Marianne stood in the doorway sometimes and watched him. He was good. He was very good. His work was frantic, emotional, raw. But it wasn't the skyline he'd paint. Or portraits, or abstract shapes. It was shrimp. Shrimp meat. Curling shrimp tails. Red, pink, crimson. The pictures were emotional, deeply emotional. They took Marianne by surprise. He'd add swirling white and blue shapes above the meat, tying it all together, floating above it. What's this represent? Marianne would ask. What? The blue. The white. That's the shrimp. He'd always reply. No, I mean the blue stuff. The blue and white stuff. What does it represent? I don't know what you're talking about. It's the shrimp. Then back to painting he'd go, his face holding an expression that Marianne recognised. It was the same face that Colonel made when he was poring over data, when he was writing up his hypotheses or conclusions. It was his science face. Why are we shrimp? It's work. I'm working from home. I'm... I'm trying to solve the problem. Marianne began resigning herself to the fact that she may not be let into Colonel's head ever again. There was a time when she'd know everything he was thinking, everything he wanted and everything he liked and disliked. But now he was a stranger. She felt as though she'd been pushed out of the back door and locked in the yard without even realising that it had been happening. One evening, after weeks of healing, Colonel's stitches had started falling out onto his pillow and Marianne was back at the time of month when she was most fertile. She stood in the bedroom and pulled on some underwear that was intended for special occasions. Her palms were almost sweaty, she was nervous. She felt that the burden of copulation was entirely on her shoulders. Felt as though getting pregnant couldn't come quick enough. It'd fix everything, relieve the strain, bring them back together. She stepped through the threshold of the living room and stood, bare-skinned behind her husband. He was painting, vigorously, using his hands, paintbrushes long since cast aside. It's late. I'm working. Why don't you stop, huh? Just for a moment. Hmm. Her words were silk flowing through the air and caressing his cheek, an invisible fishing rod. He continued painting uncaught. She walked softly around the table where he was working and positioned herself just within his field of vision. A moment passed as it slowly dawned on Colonel that his wife wasn't wearing many clothes. His eyes darted to her thighs, her stomach, the sides of her ribcage. 
It was her ribcage that had always attracted him most. That exposed flesh beneath her armpits, that tender and intimate spot traversed by the strap of her bra. For the first time in days, he looked her in the eye. His gaze contained a deep and desolate pain. I can't. Do you not want to? I want to. Of course I want to. I just can't. Marianne headed back out of the room. I feel worthless. She stemmed the tears that were collecting in her sinuses. I want to go home. I don't like Hong Kong. I'm infertile. Marianne froze solid. You got the results. You got the results and you didn't tell me. I'd not asked because I had assumed you'd tell me. Two more weeks went by. Each day, Marianne would play nurse. Colonel would play artist. They'd grown further apart than ever. Marianne would try to work, try to research, reading books, surfing the net, interviewing academics. But something was wrong. Something was off kilter. She couldn't concentrate. Everything she did was tinged with heaviness and loneliness and anger. She was angry with Colonel. There was a feeling she had, a feeling that she despised herself for, a feeling that her husband was no longer fully a man. He was now half a man. When she looked at him, she didn't see anyone she was attracted to. And Colonel's concussion meant that sometimes he'd do nothing but cry quietly, without repression, without words. At which point Marianne would leave him alone. Deep down, she found it weak and pitiful. Plus, she knew that if she spoke to him at times like these, she'd try to explain the pain away, and she knew that'd be unfair, regardless of how miserable she found him. And then, there was the courtesy calls. Every morning. Hi Marianne, I'm just calling to touch base. We are all thinking about him. Is he free right now? It would be nice to have a quick chat, just to fill him in with what's going on here. Marianne would always oblige, grit her teeth and leave Colonel alone in the room with Shiwei. One day, Marianne had just passed over one such phone call when she heard Colonel getting agitated. No! No! You can't do that! It was the most passionate Marianne had heard her husband in months. His voice was tinged with emotion, or more specifically, heartbreak. No! Suddenly, Marianne heard him clamber out from behind his painting table and stampede into the hallway. She left her office and swiftly confronted him. The phone was now on the floor, and Marianne could hear Shiwei's voice faintly. What are you doing? What's going on? Colonel was crying, sobbing in fact. His eyes were bloodshot. He looked as though a mountain of pain was avalanching through his skull. I need to go in. To work? What? Why? I need to see Shiwei. Face to face. I can't have this conversation over the phone. What's going on? Marianne's heart started pounding. Oh, what's going on? Please, please just tell me. I promise I won't lose my shit. I promise I'll be fine with it. I just need to know. It's the not knowing that hurts. I need to stop them with production. Marianne's fists loosened slightly. So this wasn't about the affair. Ah, possible affair. The shrimp. The shrimp is conscious. I don't know how, but it's thinking. I know it's thinking. It's thinking and feeling. It feels. It's got a soul or, or something. It's intelligent. It's got some kind of ancient intelligence. What? What are you talking about? It's just muscle tissue. You told me a million times it's impossible for it to be conscious, surely? I need to go to work. I need to stop them. Stop them what? Stop them shredding the meat. Stop them going ahead with production. He tried barging past his wife, but she stood in the way. Colonel, you're wearing nothing but your underpants. 
I think we need to get you to a doctor. You're concussed. Just relax. Watch some TV. Use your time off to get better. They said they can't wait for me to get better to work on what's going on. She doesn't want to hold off production any longer. Shareholders, investors, fuck them all. Marianne tried to catch her husband's gaze, but couldn't seem to lock eyes with him. Even when they looked directly at each other, Colonel didn't seem to be there. And that is when he pushed her. Hands flat, palms hard against her shoulders, the entirety of his weight through those two pressure points. She flew. For a moment, she flew through the air like an angel or, in his eyes, a demon. She landed on her office floor, skidded, the carpet was sandpaper on her left elbow. Her left hip thudded, her neck jarred. It took her a moment to realise what had just happened. Stop telling me what to do! And with that, he threw himself towards the apartment door, wrenched the latch and ran down the corridor outside. Marianne lay for a moment. For the first time in her marriage, she didn't care about Colonel. Not in the least. She had no desire whatsoever to continue trying to help him. She didn't care that he was heading out there, six foot four white man wearing nothing but a pair of white underpants. In fact, she quite possibly hated him. She sat up. The shrimp meat was calm. It didn't know what calm was, of course, not in an objective sense, not in a vocabulary sense. The reason it was calm was because it had no reason not to be. It was just existing growing. It didn't think, per se, it was just replicating cells. Thinking required a brain, required a nervous system. It didn't have either of those, but it was there. It didn't know where there was, but it was, it just was. At one point it wasn't, and then at one point it was. When was not something it could answer, because it didn't know what time was couldn't answer even if it wanted to because it didn't have a mouth or linguistic ability. But perhaps because of the scale of it, the density of the sheer amount of scaffolding of shrimp, it could feel. In an ancient sense, in a way that transcends and outdates the five traditional senses. It could feel in the way that humans interpret as emotion, in a deep sense. It doesn't come from anywhere, it just is. It's blind. It doesn't touch, doesn't taste, doesn't hear or smell. It just feels and knows. The type of feeling that makes you know when there's someone behind you. When you can't see them, you can't hear them or smell them, but you still know that they're there just the same. Can feel them. Some people call it intuition. And now it knew that there was something close. A someone. It was a presence it recognised, although it didn't understand recognition or familiarity. The someone was different though, warmer, hotter, bearer. It was lashing out, it was aggressive, deranged, it felt red, felt raw and unpredictable. It began recoiling slightly, rippling, showing discomfort. In the warehouse, Colonel was beginning to calm down. At first he had been in a red rage, he'd thrown over a trolley and used it to bash away the other staff who'd come running. He was now trying to barricade the doors closed. They weren't getting to the shrimp, not if it killed him. He was its protector, its carer, its father. Let us in! Shiwei hollered from behind the double doors. See? Let us in! No! Colonel screeched, putting himself between the shrimp and the doors. What's going on, see? What's going on? Why are you in your underpants? She was banging hard with her fist. The shrimp could feel the banging could feel the pulse in the atmosphere. 
Colonel turned and saw his shrimp baby rippling all over. All the way to the far end of the warehouse, it was quivering. He thought about when he had eaten it himself, and he gagged. It's responding. It's responding. Calm down. What's responding? Just, just let me in, please. You can't keep yourself locked in there forever. Besides, you're not in protective clothing. You've rendered the whole batch commercially useless. Something dawned on Colonel. You, you can't use it now? Not legally, no. You're parading around it naked. Apart from a pair of piss-stained budgie smugglers, we're not meeting any hygiene standards. Now, just let me in! Colonel caved in to Shiwei's request and pulled the scaffolding rod from the door handles. She stood there, flanked by Edward and other stunned colleagues. What's going on? You can't use this meat. Why? Because it responds. It's alive! He fell to his knees, sobbing. I can't let anything bad happen to this shrimp. Shi Wei fell silent, pulled her bobble out, letting her hair fall around her shoulders, and kneeled in front of the crying man. How's your head? She placed a hand on his bare knee. Am I a man? Am I, am I a real man? Of course you're a man. A real man, though. Of course you are. I feel useless. <laughs> I feel... Baron. What were you saying about the stream meat, see? She'd managed to calm him down. He leant back and rested his bare shoulders on the scaffold, feeling the shrimp meat behind him. It moved. It accommodated him, embraced him. It's sentient. No, it's not. I know what you're doing. You're pretending it's not so that you can go ahead and slaughter it. I've been working on it. At home. I've done my own work, I've been painting. It's got a soul. What? You're concussed. See, it's... it's concussion. It's not concussion! Stop lying! It's the work you got me out here to do! You can't lie! The shrimp was tensing up behind him. The work I got you here to do? I didn't get you here to do any work. You know that as well as I do. I got you here to be with me. You agreed. We agreed. So that's why you've never told me what it is you've been working on. Marianne stood in the doorway. Her face was a picture of neutral. It was almost as if she didn't care what was being said. There is no job, right? Shiwei span around. She stuttered. She had no idea what to say and then eventually replied, Yes. You met at a conference, right? Yes. Marianne understood what this meant perfectly. But... Oh, don't worry, Shiwei. I already knew. I could feel it. You know, like when you can just tell that there's someone staring at you. Intuition, I guess. She touched her stomach. I wanted to fix it. He was supposed to leave you. Way before you both moved here. This... What's happening between you two? It has nothing to do with me. Colonel felt dazed and confused. He stood up, feeling lighter, and ran. Ran full pelt along the warehouse, running his hand all along the shrimp meat. 
He stopped, reached up, started climbing the shrimp-covered scaffolding. Pieces flaked off as he climbed. He felt closer to it than he had ever done before. They understood each other, they knew. And then he slipped, fell to the floor, knocked the few remaining stitches out of his head. Feeling hazy, Colonel rolled towards the shrimp, reached out a weak arm and touched it. It didn't move. It didn't respond under his touch. Whatever it was, whatever had got under his skin, it didn't need protecting anymore. Colonel's eyes closed. In the darkness behind his eyelids, the shrimp appeared. Childlike, godlike, soulful. It smiled at him before disappearing into the Eternal. Along with Colonel himself. Shrimp was voiced by Isabella Lung, Grace Dunn, Alex Williams, Indiana Evans, Arthur McBain, and Owen Jenkins. Well, there you go. That's, uh, that's Shrimp that was all shrimp, done, mate. And we had a lot of fun playing those drums, didn't we? <laughs> we did, yeah. We went full Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, new, new year, new logo, Owen. Yes, we've got a brand new logo, um, and we've got a whole batch of shows coming up, so please do keep your ear to the ground. We've got some treats coming up for you. Um, and also, speaking of treats, it's our birthday soon, isn't it, Arthur? Yeah, so uh, we'll we're gonna get each other presents, aren't we? That's yeah, happening. and you know, listeners, you know, we don't expect much. We don't want any big elaborate gifts from you. We don't want a repeat. We don't. We don't want a repeat of last year with the the Bentley was too much. We're only I, two, so all you need to do this year is just like and share and subscribe that's all we need that's really good i mean you've covered um, points two and three on the agenda in one <laughs> in one thing there yeah like and share that's what we want for our birthday that's what we'd love um we've got lots of uh fun episodes coming up this year including some guest written ones but more from chris jameson which is very exciting and we'll do something special around our birthday so keep your eyes peeled our birthday is our is the 20th of february Fe- 20th of february at your peril is two woohoo so hey woohoo um but yes i hope everyone's well stay safe everyone and uh see you next Lots time of love <laughs>